7.05 on a Monday. He is the head coach of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea. 204-780-6868. You can call. You can text. Mike will give you all the answers. He'll open it up entirely. He's got everything. He's got all the <laughs> answers, uh, including how, how did you survive 38 degrees Celsius yesterday? Indoors or did you end up... Indoors, we were in the in the basement of the stadium doing work. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. It, I'm hoping it's nice and cool down there. Uh, it's cool enough. Okay, I like it. Uh, two and zero after two games is where every team would like to be. Uh, how do you feel about the team so far? Hey, we, we've won two games. So I mean, you're you're looking for those wins. Do they look exactly the way you expect them to look, or the way you want them to look? No, but it is. Earlier in the season, um, and you know, got a lot of faith in in the team that y- you'll get it going. But finding a way to win those games and sticking with it, and um, believing that you're going to win is is a is a a big part of that, right? So, very happy in those terms. You know, will we start faster? Will we, you know? play tougher and smarter and take less penalties and all those things. Yep, game by game, we'll we'll figure out ways to win. We've got a million questions about who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. Uh, let's go to the phone lines to start with. Steve, you're with us on the Coach's Show. Steve, thanks for the call. Hi, Coach. Um, this is me, yes? Yes, go ahead, Steve. Okay, sorry. Um, coach, I know you're even keeled and, and you really don't give a rats you know what about what the media says um and and uh, but that's you your players they're subject to the media they get interviewed they read the papers they've got social media right and and i include and i'm you know and and the headlines and the in the social media and the, and the regular media have been yes bombers won two but geez this doesn't look the same as last year and coach i i admit i'm also got my concerns so i know you personally don't care coach but my question is what do you tell your players regarding reading the media and 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 their 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 criticism that they're getting in the media if you even though they're 2 and 0 do you talk to them about the media do you tell them to not listen to the media or do you even mention the media when you're talking to them yeah, it doesn't even come up, to tell you the truth. I mean, there's uh, Darren Cameron will have a chat with the team, uh, you know, in the first couple of days when the team is made uh, about our policy, our media policy. And then other than that, um, we've got such a veteran group that have been there and done that. Um, they, they handle anything in-house in the, in the locker room. Um, but really, uh, Darren runs such a tight ship. Nothing, nothing really comes up, and I think the guys are smart enough not to, you know, venture onto social media and and take any of that really seriously. Um, I mean, they're professionals, right? So the, the the critics that count are, you know, looking themselves in the mirror and sitting beside them in the locker room. What I heard there was they put on CJOB and break the knob off. Perfect. That's exactly the answer. It's, it's. I've had players. I've had non-bomber players. What uh, one challenge me to box because I put something on Twitter. That's not. Uh, that's not ideal. 
uh, you boxing? Is that an idea? <laughs> Either way, or him challenging me to box was was a, I wouldn't expect a bomber would ever do that. Let's go to line two where we have Chris. Uh, Chris, welcome to the Coaches Show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, listen, I got a question. It might be too technical for the radio, and I'm going to bore everyone to sleep. So, if let's uh, do it, Chris. Pass, let's no do problem. it. All right. So I watch just about every CFL game every season. Uh, bombers or not. Um, what I've been noticing is that more often than not, it looks like defenses are bringing, you know, a blitz or a half blitz or whatever, sneaking a safety in there. Um, just enough, I think, that they outnumber uh, offensive linemen. And uh, that leads to, you know, a lot of sacks and knockdowns. We see them every year. And uh, Bombers last year and the year before, uh, season before really benefited from it. I guess what I'm asking is, um, when you're scheming for your offense, why is it that it seems that so few CFL teams include uh, a tight end uh, you know more often to pick up those those extra um, defensive linemen is there just it seems like pretty universal too that very few play uh, teams run a tight end they all depend on a blocking back or something like that is there some sort of like grand conspiracy or is it just not how things are done especially given the neutral zone changes all the angles and the geometry of rushing if you have any insights, Coach, I'd love to hear them. If that's too boring, uh, then, hey, no problem. No hard feelings. Well, if you put a stationary tight end uh, at the end of the line of scrimmage and we're going to bring one more than you have, we know exactly where to bring that player and where to line him up and the angle he needs to take and how to figure out who the free guy is going to be. If you, what they call bomber in, or if you bring a receiver in from the outside at the last second, then the next free rusher the next blitzer is late to rush or chooses not to rush at all so then you've picked it up if you use your your tailback and you remove him quickly from the formation forcing them to figure out who's supposed to cover him and you put the defense in a uh, a spot where they need to communicate um and figure out the next sort of chess move then you've slowed them down and the offense wins again so if you just add stationary pieces, obviously, if you add, you know, a couple blockers on each side and you're now into uh, 80 protection rather than 50 protection, right, 5-0 linemen, or you add tight ends or backs or receivers and they're all stationary and you're in 80 protection, well, then you don't have an, a lot of receivers out uh, in the route combination for the quarterback to throw to. You don't have a lot of targets, and eventually the defense will just say, okay, it's not even worth bringing more pressure. We'll just sit back and cover, and you won't have anybody to throw to anyway. Right. So the chess match continues. But as far as using a stationary tight end on the end of the line of scrimmage, uh, I don't know that that's enough to deter a team. And, in fact, it probably makes it easier for us to line up and get a jump on the same pressure we were going to bring. It's just one more body, right? So I hope that answers a little bit of the question. Um, once again, I do think that the benefit of the CFL is being able to have six eligible receivers in motion at one time and bringing in from the outside a motioning blocker gives defenses more problems. That sounds great. Thanks, Coach. No problem. Chris, thanks for your call. Yeah, having... Uh Having seven-man protection and they rush three, well, four guys don't have anything to do, right? I mean, in an essence, in blocking, if yes. it was every, if, every receiver is double teamed, then 
Yeah, which can yeah. be a tr- which can be a problem. Which twenty eighteen Hamilton used six and seven man protections really effectively. I I wonder if that was more they had unbelievable receivers when Banks was at his height and Tasker and such. But it's it's something we are we getting more hybrid bodies in the CFL? I, I think Jake Burton was the first overall pick in the draft a couple of years ago. Are are you oh, when you're scouting? Are you hoping for hybrid bodies at positions? Uh, I mean, anybody that has versatility, positional versatility, is obviously coveted on a, you know, given the the roster size, although the roster size is as big as it's ever been. But, I mean, you like guys with flexibility, you know, guys that understand multiple positions are easier to to place on the field in certain situations. But um you mentioned jake burt i don't know you know we'll see he's this is his first he's only played a couple of games so yeah i don't know what he's going to be yet right i, I mean for sure highly touted but um we, we'll see how they use him yeah dave is on the text line uh he is curious how long and how far away is brandon alexander he's been at practice for a few days just being around the dudes uh, yeah i mean that's still up in the air i don't know He's he's coming along nicely. I know he's he's just fired up to to get going. I know he's he's always excited to be around his teammates. He is a tremendous leadership uh, component for our team. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's in there every single day, meeting with guys and and helping out the coaching staff and helping out his teammates uh, figure everything out. So he will be back when he's able to be back, and until then. He will serve his teammates as best he can because that's the man he is. The first time I saw him, I, I didn't expect him to be six feet tall and 180 pounds because in my mind, he plays like 225 or 230. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Which he, is, he I was it. stunned. Yeah, what's interesting about him is he's brought back that hard-hitting safety mentality and uh, in, a, in an era where it's really hard to hit <laughs> yeah, and not take penalties. So he's managed to keep his shoulder, you know, shoulder contact and and keep his head out of the game and hit players legally really hard. So, I mean, it's an exciting uh, part of our defense, sure. Um, I think the fans, the, the, the home side fans should, you know, really appreciate that he's an old school safety in a, in an era that's tough to be an old school safety. Yeah. yeah. I think in each of the gosh, and maybe three of the games, including a preseason game, uh, talking about, um, uh, good Lord. I lost his name. Your current safety, Malcolm, Malcolm Thompson. Thank you. Uh, how smartly he's had to, he wants to crush somebody, but he does it very smartly. And I've caught just It's caught my eye. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's football in 2022. It's not uh, 1982 when I started watching. No. Yeah. Not Rob Hitchcock lowering the boom on everybody. <laughs> Kyrie Say Bear trying to put guys in the hospital and such like that. It is 716. Plenty more of your texts and calls. They're piling up on the text line. I love it. Please do keep sending them to us. 204-780-6868. It's the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea on 680 CJOB. Coach's Show brought to you by new Proline Gold Fungicide. Outstanding protection under high disease pressure. It's grow time. Bob is on the text line at 204-780-6868. Says, Theodric Hansen has to be a welcome addition to the Bombers. How did this materialize, Coach? Well, the CBA got done. And, you know, the contract was to uh, tease liking. And they got it done. So I, I don't know if it was um, 
you know, if, it was just when, right? I, I believe he was going to come. I just, you know, a couple things had to fall into place for him to feel comfortable about it, that's all. But excited he's back and very happy for him that, that he um, got what he was looking for. It gave me a, a little giggle internally to ask him, are you in football shape? Because he is very clearly in shape. Like that dude, first time I've seen him in person, that dude is 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 built and clearly takes care of himself. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, he's a pro athlete, right? So. But not all pro athletes look like that. Like, pro athletes have different shapes. Uh, Jesse Briggs is the guy who stand out of like, okay, he's, he really appears to pop. Like Deidre intentionally had his shirt off and you're like, okay, yeah, he looks like he could play. If I saw him, I would think football player. Let's say that. Yeah, he's much more than that, though. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's a he's a great dude that uh, cares a lot about a lot of people, and um, we are very excited to have him back. Yes. So, uh, and a chance he plays on Friday. Coach uh, said earlier, everything is possible. Everything is possible. Michael in San Antonio uh, says, Coach, congrats on the two and zero start. Uh, question about penalties. Game one, four for thirty eight yards. Game two, ten for ninety six yards. Mostly on defense. Uh, any thoughts on on why or what can be done? Is it a problem? Those kind of things for Michael in San Antonio. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not happy with the penalty totals. I think there's obviously um, a couple of offsides that we could curb. Um, I also, every time, you know, a game is over and I, I take the time the next day to look at the review the penalties, um, we review them as a full team. There are some clips that come up that I just say, hey, I, I don't know that this is a penalty. I'm not sure what else you could do here. You know, there's the accidental pass interference, you know, to basically right at the beginning of the game. And, D, you know, Dietrich Nichols makes a great break on the ball, undercuts the receiver, probably has a chance to intercept it, and clicks the receiver's heel as he goes by him. But he, he's, he's going to be past the receiver and the catch point, either knocking the ball down or intercepting it. Receiver falls down, it's, pass, it's accidental pass interference because their feet clicked. Mm-hmm. You know. But it was a fantastic break, great coverage. Results in a 10-yard penalty, right? So there's nothing I'm going to tell him to do differently. It was an amazing play. And if the receiver is a little more sure-footed, <laughs> it's, it's an interception and no penalty probably. Yeah, but, you know, or, yeah. That's how that's how good a play it was. Just that's the rule. I'm not gonna. But I'm once again, there's as the coaches look at it and the players look at it. We, you know, we're we're reviewing this all together. The questions always get asked: What would you do differently? Or and then ask the coach: What could he do differently? And sometimes the answer is nothing. You know, and and stuff about lining up offside is. I mean, that's don't line up offside. <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do? It's those are preventable ones that that bother you. The the ones in game where you're just playing hard football. I don't, you know, I you know, you can't you can't stop them from playing hard. Yeah, I like it. All right, uh, David is with us. Uh, says Jeff Gray really getting beat in the trenches of the first half had me concerned with Zach having to take sacks. Uh, your thoughts on uh, if you want to Jeff Gray or the offensive line? Jeff Gray does just great. <laughs> you know he's uh, he, he he does very well for us. Um, you want to put a microscope on on one play or or two plays? I mean that's 
not very fair and it's not the way football is. You know, you take in the 60-something plays he played on offense and the fact that we won and we managed to rush for over 100 yards or whatever you, you know, whatever you want to look at, we passed the ball well, we scored touchdowns. And Jeff is a hard-nosed player that, you know, finishes his blocks and, and gets downfield and chases the ball every time. So um, I, I'm, once again, I'm a, I'm a big Jeff Gray fan. So I'm a fan of all our players. So you're not going to get me to say <laughs> anything but that. So I'm not... Uh, Everybody wants to play better. Is that the biggest difference between coaches and, and us as fans in that you all would see the forest and we pick out a, a couple of trees to be looking at? Like we, we talk, we think of, I remember that play. I remember that play, but then you look, you go back and look at 140 of them. Yeah. That may be the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so much, so much more. I I love it. Yeah, uh, David, we appreciate the the question. Um, offensive line uh, protection, uh, run blocking through two games. Yep. As a whole, it's it's good, it, and and they know it can be better. So we're in a good spot, right? I think we we talked about this on shows eight years ago, and I think what sometimes gets you know there's um, the misconception that. You know, a sack is attributed to one person, right? Or a penalty is attributed. You know, this. There's a lot of things that go on in in a twelve man game. Yeah. You know that uh, are interesting. So, timing of receivers, route depths, uh, first look of the quarterback. Uh, you know, all these this stuff that goes on that leads to a stat line, a final stat line, right? But uh, we look at all those other things and we don't talk about them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because um, they're just, we t- in-house, there's a lot of great things to learn from that make us better as a team. But if you're talking about the greatest team sport on earth, then... You talk about it in the sense, in a big picture sense of the team, you know, and and you realize you fill your room full of guys that care deeply about their teammates and want to do the best for them. And just having that trust, that faith is uh, makes it so easy to go to work every day mm-hmm. because they all want to do their best for their teammates. So you don't even have to worry about anything else. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about caring about your teammates. There again at practice today, Jamarcus Hardrick wearing Michael Couture's jersey. A Couture injured in the game on Friday. There's Jamarcus just being the being what appears to be the ultimate team guy. Guy I very much enjoy watching so far. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. More of your texts and your calls. We'll get into the game against Ottawa. And you know what? Honestly, wherever you want to take us, we're happy to go. It's the coaches' show on six eighty CJOB. Uh, where are you on uh, review? You ha- you guys had one in the game that you challenged, but there was one where was it? You guys were called for offside, and they it call came down. No, no, that's that's against the offense. Or was it the rev- it was? Yeah, they picked up a flag. Um, Adam Big Hill came up to the line and showed pressure. The guard popped up out of his stance. Willie then right rushed. Yeah, they threw the flag. Said it was offside. Uh, on Willie, and sure enough, 
it was the guard who popped up. And I mean, that's the good thing about the command center is they now look at the reasons why guys jump offside, you know, for procedure. And then they got it right. I mean, it was the guard right over top of Biggie who shot up and, you know, as soon as he moves, we're allowed to go. So, I mean, it, it worked there. That was, that was good. We also had a challenge that a guy dropped a ball on the sideline and um, I happened to be standing right there. The, the ball came out uh, as he landed out of bounds. He didn't survive contact with the ground. Um, so it was an easy challenge. Uh, I said this post-game, the reason you wait is to make sure that uh, guys in our booth, our coaching staff, can see a replay on TSN because if they can't see that replay, even if you're right, you're, right. you, you're wrong. If <laughs> so, the officials can't see yeah, the replay. The command center doesn't, doesn't have an accurate replay or doesn't get a replay uh, for some reason, um, then you're just wasting a challenge. Even though you feel you're right, you're just wasting your challenge. So there is some you know, strategy involved and some conversation that has to take, for, take place before you can just throw your flag, even though it, the ball was out right at my feet, literally right at my feet. Yeah. Yeah, you, you better be able to see it. That one was with 2.22 left in the second quarter, and Doug and I were in the booth, and I said, this is really quite early to make a challenge. He must be borderline 100% sure. Is, yeah, is that, well, I, I don't, is the, that the at all? early I, is interesting. I don't, well, I, because I don't know why, why is early? Well, because if you are wrong, you don't get a challenge, and there are much more high-leverage situations in the fourth quarter in which a challenge could entirely turn a, a one-score football game. If it comes up. Which is the other the other interesting point. You know, when a... You don't get any reward for keeping your challenge. There's no, no extra points for keeping that you, challenge, when, right? When there's a play there that... Now, you would weigh the benefit of winning the challenge. Yep. You know, I think that's something you weigh, but I don't know that, I'm not sure that you weigh it on time of game if it's obvious. You know, you, you wouldn't, I don't know that that would be part of the decision. I think you weigh it as in what you, what are you going to gain possibly from the yeah. challenge? Not, should I hold it just in case there's one, something I can challenge later? You don't know what, what those plays hold in store for the game but what if that's 60 40 and not you were you were a hundred percent that was 100 percent. yeah if that's a 60 40 decision does that change your i feel like we might get this overturned but i'm not sure does that change how you would approach that exact situation yeah if i'm yes okay absolutely i mean i'd like to be i'd like to be sure i'd like to have a good understanding that the command center is going to see it also mm-hmm Mm-hmm. It's that's a fascinating part of Me the game. Being sure is irrelevant. You know, if the command center can't see it, okay. or can't see it my way. Yeah, if they don't know. have definitive proof that you are correct, right. it doesn't matter if you are or correct, if, or if the standards of officiating are um, different than how the how a coach sees the game. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you have to have to follow their standards and um, challenge according to what you know they can see and can't see and not just on TSN but how they view the game right you know uh, forward pass you know arm going forward doesn't necessarily mean it's not a fumble but yeah. it does to a person in the command center yeah okay you know 
So that's I assume this all just comes with experience now and many years of yeah, you many just keep games. on adding it to the list of things that you have failed at. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right? There's enough challenges that have gone the opposite way that you say, All right. Yeah. I was right on that, but it doesn't matter. I didn't win the challenge, so why not? Put that in the memory bank, figure it out, move forward with more knowledge and hopefully a better decision-making process. Uh, caught us during the game, and both David and Dave have asked uh, questions about the, uh, the decisions to go for two-point converts during the game. I just want to set it up for folks who, who don't 100% remember. 16 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, you guys go a seven-play, 70-yard drive to score a touchdown to make the score pending the convert, 9-7 Ottawa. You chose to go for two there. What was what? And I, uh, just to be clear, like that's that's your decision. It's not as a head coach. Do you make that decision, or is that in consultation, or how does that happen? Yeah, I, I, ultimately that would be my decision. But I don't make those decisions without, you know, talking to Buck. We run two point plays every, you know, every week, and um, if he feels good about them, which he obviously would, because we wouldn't be running these plays if he didn't feel good. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's important that Buck, you know, wants to wants to try the two point. Also, it's important. I mean, this it was pretty easy. You know, it's was it nine seven nine seven pending the convert. Right, yeah. nine seven pending the convert. So it's not a, a difficult mathematical formula where you're going for two, where you're three scores behind, and what's that going to do in the you know later stages of the game? All these other things, right? It's pretty simple. You're at the end of the half. You just drove down. You have some momentum. You scored. You tried the two point, or you you know you tried the two point to go up, uh, go to go into the room tied, mm-hmm. basically. So I mean, it's a pretty easy decision. It's not. We don't uh, go for two, you know, uh, just on whims. Um, but I would also yeah, also yeah, I always would talk to to Buck about you know, all right. And we usually talk prior to a scoring, hey, just so you know, when we score. We're going for two. I'd like to go for two. What are your thoughts? So he has it in his head, you know, ahead of time too. I try to, and it doesn't always work out this way. I I try to keep, um, once again, it doesn't always work out this way, but I'd like to be a couple plays ahead with the thoughts to the guys. But um Ultimately, yes, that would be my decision. Okay. The, what's the difference uh, in going to half tied at nine or it being nine, eight or nine, seven? I don't know. Just I, I felt we, you know, the first, well, whatever, probably 20 minutes of the game, we, we, you know, we didn't move the ball really efficiently. And it was a tough weather game too. So to have the guys drive down like that and score, um, you know, I just think it was a a good reward to to go for two there and go in tied and um, you know have the chance to get the ball back possibly again to start the second half. I mean, mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it's a good feeling. I like it. Uh, the second one was fourth quarter, five fifteen remaining. You score a touchdown to go plus seven. Nineteen to twelve is the score, and you chose to kick when I thought, oh, would they go for two and put the put the game out of reach here potentially. You can make it a nine-point game. What was the score? It was 19-12 pending the convert. So plus seven, plus eight. Well, you see, it depends on how you look at the two-point convert. Do you look at Absolutely. It, do you look at it as uh, 
simply a convert or do you look at them scoring a touchdown from the three on a one-play drive? Because they have to hit the end zone twice. If you're up eight, they've got to hit the end zone twice. They, In effect, they have to score two touchdowns. Except one of those drives starts at the 107-yard line, right? Like one of those starts at the at your three. Yep. As opposed to your their would, own 40. I would bet on our defense stopping. <laughs> so we stop people when they need inches. Yeah. So one-shot deal, our defense versus an offense from the three-yard line, they get one chance yeah. to score a touchdown. Yeah, I'm betting on our defense. So, I don't, yep. you know, the, the, or you can bet, or you can try and bet against their kicker who's kicking at 90%. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm. You kick the single, and you're betting on your defense. If you go for two, and not, we won't go too much yeah. further than this. But if you go for two in that scenario and you get it, they have to score on your defense twice in four minutes and forty five seconds, yeah. which seems they still like have a to score on our defense a, twice. A zero point. Okay, they if have to score eight. They got to score on our defense twice. The yardage they would need to accumulate <laughs> against your team would be substantially the different. Don't matter. Points matter. <laughs> As we've shown through yeah. two games, yeah. yeah, those were there. I'm I'm fascinated by the two point conversations. Uh, I yes, love you it. Are. <laughs> I'm I'm totally nerded about it. Just for folks, ninety percent when you kick it since they made the rule change, sixty percent league wide when you go for two. Uh, there are so many other considerations that go into yeah. it. With what what will we feel like going into halftime? And to your, I mean, to your point, the difference between seven and eight for some teams is substantial because. There are a lot of teams in this league that are not used to going for two. And, oh, my God, yeah, we have to do it with the game I don't on think the line? a single point is – like, I think we can make up a single throughout the second half very easily. I, you know, it was just one of those things, let's reward the offense, go for two, and and have a different feel. Um, the the two-point – I mean, I think I I went uh, in-depth and studied it the one off season and – what it boils down to for me, and it wouldn't boil down to for you for this, I'm sure, but what it boils down to for me is of the seven extra points that were generated on the one team that went for two points the most and won out by plus seven in those scenarios, how many of those points actually won them the game? And Which is fair to some degree, the, but the every, every is, event changes every event after it, right? Sure. If you guys are plus nine late, well, Hamilton... And here's the here's the argument potentially against plus nine is Ottawa and forgive me I said Hamilton because Masoli used to play for Hamilton. Ottawa is going to be even more aggressive offensively. So there's a there's extra considerations of well would we rather be up three or up seven because if we're up three they may take it a little easier. If they're up seven they're going to be aggressive. If they're down two scores they might be hyper aggressive. Yeah, having a team that's going to go for every third down, you know, playing defensive football three downs, three downs, three downs is different than two downs right so knowing that a team is always going to go for it on third down is is interesting but yes you would always i guess you'd like to be up more points than less points (laughs) it's pretty easy yeah i can agree with that but you feel your defense up eight points against an attacking offense you feel great about that i'm taking away from this I feel great about that. I love it. And so do they. <laughs> as as they should. Uh, it's it's two narrow victories so far against uh is Ottawa how I wanna I wanna get to how good is Ottawa with I don't know how much you're willing to say about how good is Ottawa. Yeah, they're good. I I feel like they might be really good and they just happen to go 0 and two against yeah, the two-time great cup champs. You need a, a, a bigger sample size, but they're 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 well coached. They have they've added a lot of talent to their roster. 
they're a good football team. They're going to win a bunch of football games this year. What their record's going to be at the end of the season, who who knows? (laughs) Should we take, as we go to break, should we take anything away from the West being 5-0 against the East right now? Uh, No. (laughs) Just, it's early. (laughs) The Bomber Coaches Show brought to you by new ProLine Gold Fungicide. Outstanding protection under high disease pressure. It's grow time. 204-780-6868. More with the coach on the other side. Your text here calls 780-6868. Jerry's on the line with us. Jerry, go ahead with the coach. It's Gary. Oh, it's Gary. Sorry, it says Jerry on my phone. Sorry about that, Gary. Okay, coach, one of the rule changes this year was uh, the change to allow two quarterbacks on the same on the field at the same time. I have three questions regarding that. Do when that should occur. It hasn't occurred yet by anyone. Prior, when that happens, does, do the officials have to be advised ahead of time? Okay, just to clear up, Edmonton has done this. They threw passes to backup quarterback Kyle Oxley in this one. Do coach, do you have oh, to advise I, the? I, I, I didn't see it. So okay. okay, coach, do you have to advise them that you're putting two quarterbacks on? Uh, I don't know of that process. <laughs> you know, I um, they have the quarterback numbers on the on their sheet. So no, I, I, I wouldn't be telling them they know who our quarterbacks are. So we're, if, okay, if we so do I, that, I'm putting I, them out I, I now. They could tell me I need to, but yeah. they already know who our quarterbacks are. Mm-hmm. Second question is, uh, is it the one pass forward pass still a restriction behind the line of scrimmage or is that changed? He, no, nope. still restricted. You can only throw one forward pass per play. Okay, and third question is, should that happen uh, that you're defending, how does that change your strategy for defending a situation like that? You put a spy on the second guy or... Well, I think you... On the field? The, the number one thing would be making sure that the defense... Uh, communicates that there is a second quarterback out there then to figure out what position he's in and then to figure out if he's in a position to take a lateral or you know what uh, take a uh, possibly a a handoff and then if that's the case uh, so you just start eliminating possibilities based on his positioning right and then you sort of um, digest that information and figure out what what they can possibly do but you, the number one thing is to just make sure you're aware that they're out there. Hey, have a good game against Hamilton, Coach. Thanks, Gary. Gary, appreciate your call on the text line. It's uh, 780-6868. Would it be any different than uh, Armonte Edwards, a, a longtime receiver in the CFL, who was a quarterback in college? Would it be any different than... Braylon Addison played quarterback. There you go. So, you know, Darwin Adams can throw, right? <laughs> like, these guys... Whether they played quarterback or not, they can. A lot of these guys can get it done, you know. With you're talking about double passes and trick plays and all these things, a lot of guys can get it, get it done. Right? Yeah, they the receivers all play catch every single day, right? So <laughs> That's you, true. nobody wants to play catch with a guy who can't throw, <laughs> right? That's why nobody wants to catch footballs for me. It's just not it's not challenging or fun, right? So you're always aware of who, who their guys are and what they possibly can do, but you can't defend every what if. It just You drive yourself nuts. 
You just have to, uh, uh, the guys just have to Use be communicating. Eyes, play sound football, play within your structure of your defense, communicate, run hard, tackle hard. Is everybody responsible for communicating or are there points everybody. where you go, this guy is, this, no, you're the focal? Everybody. You know, it's one of the things you work on. When you yell from the sideline, we talk about this all the time. When you yell from the sideline and the corner closest to you hears and nods, you're like, what? <laughs> Tell somebody else, <laughs> you know. That guy's that 45 yards you. away and didn't hear me. You know, that, that wasn't for you. That was for everybody. So it's funny. It's uh, Our guys do a great job of communicating. They, You hear it in practice. They really yep. they really uh, do seem to. Just a, just a couple minutes left. Do you have your white outfit picked out for the whiteout on Friday against the Hamilton Tiger Cats? What do you think? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Yeah, I, I just, I love that. I love that. It's a real. I like the fact that they're doing it. I don't think you'll see me in all white. I don't think so. Nobody's told me I have to wear all white. So. There's no white pants, no white scorpion belt hanging in the back of the closet that you could go to. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I just, I just love it. For folks, if you're going to the game, they ask that you wear white because in the back-to-back Grey Cup wins over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Bombers wore white, and it's the only game in which they're going to wear white at home this season. Just an extra little layer. Just just working those rivalries. So whether you do it on the field by beating them in the Grey Cup twice or they do it in the front office by calling a game this or saying dress up like that, anything. Bring it on in the Canadian Football League. I love it. Uh, back to practice tomorrow when uh, hopefully the thunderstorms stay away. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Yeah, it's all good. Hamilton's a good football team. This will be This will be a lot of fun. It's going to be good. Uh, we have you join us Friday, 5.30. The pregame show starts. We're in the tailgate area, so come by and say hi. 7.30 kickoff. Bombers going 3-0, and perhaps. We would absolutely love to see it. And if it happens, you'll hear it right here on 680 CJOB. He is the head coach, Mike O'Shea. I'm Derek Taylor. Thanks for being with us on The Coach's Show.